This is Michael Easley in Context. Here's a peek at what Michael will be talking about today. Count it down. Let's hear a great debt-free scream. Three, two, one. We're debt-free! Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. You know, if you've never heard that on a radio broadcast, you've missed a lot of fun. From time to time on the Dave Ramsey Show, he invites callers to report in on how they're doing getting out of debt and perhaps starts by listening to the Dave Ramsey Show. Then they'll go through Financial Peace University. And then after a period of months or a couple of years, people will get out of debt completely and they'll call in on the broadcast and they'll talk to Dave about how they did it and the reality of they are now debt-free, and Dave loves to play that clip, and they all celebrate in the studio, and I'm telling you, it's as genuine and real as you can imagine. There are tears in the studio, and i got to confess, I've listened to the broadcast in my car, welling up, going, why am I crying about people that are getting out of debt? This is ridiculous. The power of being debt-free is enormous, and America is enslaved to debt. They're enslaved to their credit card debt, and the American way is just put it on credit. Today, we are thrilled to be talking to Dave Ramsey, the founder of The Dave Ramsey Show. Dave is considered a personal money management expert. He's a very popular broadcast personality. He's had four New York Times best-selling books, Financial Peace, More Than Enough, The Total Money Makeover, and Entree Leadership. In 92, Dave founded the Lampo Group, Lampo being the Greek word for light, to provide financial counseling through a lot of different means to help people understand biblical principles, common sense principles, as he says, God's and grandma's ways to know how to live under your income and through a process of very achievable steps, not only get out of debt completely, but live, as he likes to say, like no one else lives. Dave does a good job providing almost 400 people with a full-time job, as well as giving back generously to many different organizations. He's a friend. It's a privilege to be with Dave today. You know, a lot of people know you from the Financial Peace University, but perhaps they haven't heard some of the early times, the early days of Dave Ramsey when you just got started and you ran into a couple of hurdles. Give us an overview of uh, the before things as they stand today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the reasons we know how to do what we do is we did everything wrong to start with. Um, Got a PhD in (laughs) DUMB, without a doubt. So, um, yeah, Sharon and I got married like most people. We were broke, and I actually do everything backwards. I met God on the way up. I I started buying and selling real estate, and I got rich, at least by a kid Mm. from Antioch, Tennessee standards. I had about $4 million worth of real estate, a little over a million dollar net worth. I was making about $250,000 a year. And you're how old at that point? I was um, in my early 20s. Okay. So by the time I was 26, that all that was hap- had happened. And uh, when I turned 26, 20,000 bucks a month is coming in. Life yeah. is good. You know, we've got a brand new baby, brand new marriage, and everything's rocking. Life is good. But I had borrowed too much money. And the bank called one day. They had gotten sold. And some guy in another city looked down and said, this kid owes us a lot of money. Mm. And they called our loans. And another bank called our loans. And then another bank called our loans. And we spent the next two and a half years of our life losing everything mm. 
we own. So we met God on the way up, but we definitely got to know him on the way down. Mm-hmm. And as we made that journey down that side of that mountain into that valley, I found a guy named Larry Burkett, and mm-hmm. another guy named Ron Blue, and another guy named Howard Dayton, and several other people that were teaching. And I started as a baby Christian finding out that the Bible had a lot of things to say, but one of the things it had a lot of things to say about was money. And so we started applying biblical financial principles to our lives, studying them, because I don't like pain. I don't want to go back. Mm-hmm. And I figure if this Jesus stuff is real, and that's the truth, and the Bible is the truth, and anything that anyone says that is contrary to that would be known as not the truth, mm-hmm. including financial principles. So we start applying them, and it takes a while. It's grandma's common sense, but we began crawling out. And as we started crawling out, we started helping some other people and showing them, and it's blossomed into a big, hairy deal now. How did this affect yours and Sharon's relationship? Uh, about killed each other. <laughs> yeah, we back, back to Just to sum it up, yeah. Yeah, Sharon, Sharon is from the hills of East Tennessee. Frying pan throwing there is an Olympic event. So it was a disaster. And again, I was a baby Christian. She grew up in church, but I met God as an adult in that setting on the way mm-hmm. up and then on the way down. And I didn't have the paradigm and the, the, the ability to be a decent husband in a crisis. I didn't even know what that looked like. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to hang on and just breathe. And uh, and consequently, she's let sit, sitting there with a brand new baby. By the time the bankruptcy at the bottom, two babies. And bless her heart, she thought she married Sir Galahad. Turns out it was Goober. Mm. So um, we had a lot of work to do. Were you always a reader? Yes. Yeah, our parents, I grew up in a real estate household. So mom and daddy, uh, positive thinking movement and yep. the sales movement. So I'm, I'm cut my teeth on Earl Nightingale yeah. and Zig Ziglar and, what a voice. and those guys. And um, so reading anything that had to do with self-improvement or that kind of thing was always, it was kind of mandatory around our place, but it just, I developed a love of it really quick because it affected my life in a good way. But I just found out that if there was something I needed to know, I could find it in a book. And so whether it was being a better dad, whether it was being a better husband, whether it's learning about money, whether it was learning about Jesus, whether it's learning about mm-hmm. the Old Testament, the New Testament, what, whatever whatever concept I wanted to study, I could find a book on it somewhere. Okay. Some of them better written than others. And so it opens up the doors to everything. I love the old saying, the old motivator, Charlie Tremendous Jones used to say, five years from today, you'll be the same person you are today, except for the books you read, yeah, the people, people you meet. With, yeah. When you look at your marriage uh, post the hard years, uh, what are some defining principles, moments for you personally, not necessarily the, the baby steps that we hear so often from your program that hopefully people are starting to, to grab more and more? What are some principles that you have, you know, live and die for now? Well, it's way different than was 30 years ago when we got married. No question about that. And uh, even Sharon would admit that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think, you know, you learn, I learned from some of the best writers in that world, in that genre, in that space, uh, learn to serve. Mm. And uh, I don't always do it well. We're not perfect. But most of the time, when I'm, when I am doing it right, I'm, I've learned to serve. And sometimes that means to guide while I'm serving. Mm-hmm. It means that she's my girlfriend, and I got to keep that first and foremost in front of everything else. And and then I got to, you know, that part of that means I learn where those minds are in the minefield, and I try to stay off of them. Um, sometimes I'm stupid and I just wander over there, but uh, and get blown up. But I mean, most of the time I know where they are now, and uh, she knows where mine are, and we've worked on that a lot. But uh, I mean, we're we're far from perfect the ramses have not got this figured out but we have been hanging on for 32 years we do love each other and that's a good thing when you think of uh, where you're sharing our today with your kids all but uh, the youngest not married yet they're too married grandchild and another one on the way maybe sometime in the near future I haven't heard yet i've heard that yet uh, probably, if you've heard something i haven't heard well, no just the nose um <laughs> how has your perspective changed and when you think of christ in your life the things you had to go through that were difficult what you learned, as you said, got to know him on the way down. 
and now you look at your legacy in front of you. What's the differential between, I can't stop them from learning things the hard way, but I want to educate them so they don't have to suffer too much. You know, it's a two-edged sword. On one hand, we want to help our kids, but we also want them to fail in a safe environment. Well, I mean, our kids are, of course, grown and out of the house, so our ability to tell them what to do now with that is not there. And even to speak into their life, you have to just be very, very careful to not cross boundaries. It's not my house anymore. Prior to their getting married and, and even starting to date and those kinds of things, um, I mean, we were really, really tough on that, uh, that this is these are this is the way you live. This is how you walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And this is what you're looking for. We're not we don't do missionary dating. And, you know, you're, you're looking for a man uh, and a man that follows Christ and a man that knows how to serve. And uh, that's talking to the girls, obviously. And uh, Daniel, you're going to be that man mm-hmm. to my son. And that includes this financial piece. It includes a career piece. You need to know how to work. Those who don't work, don't let them eat. Mm-hmm. Diligent prosper. There's a lot of sowing and reaping and cause and effect in Scripture. We were trying to create a track for them to run on. And as my friend Dennis Rainey used to say, to take those arrows that are in our quiver and make sure first that the shaft is straight and then affix the, 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 the feathers to the back of the shaft so that it will then fly straight once it's released straight. And then you put a really, really sharp tip on the thing. And uh, then it does damage to the other side mm-hmm. on behalf of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And you release those things. And when you release them, you don't get to bring them back. So we're not fishing. We don't keep a keep a string attached to it when we release them. Matter of fact, we prefer they not come back except <laughs> to visit. You Hopefully, know? yeah, yeah. When you listen to people on the radio, um, I know a lot of it is empathy because you learned the hard way. Sometimes folks that call in, you want to, you know, my friend Dave Gibson says, you want to give them a spiritual dope slap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you could, he said, you know, lighten up here, wake up a little bit. How do you keep the, the, the teacher Dave, which is extraordinary, how do you keep the teacher Dave from becoming the critical Dave in, in some of these situations when you've heard, it's like, can you make this stuff up? Yeah, really. Some days I don't, some days I goof that up uh, and that's not good radio and it's not appealing. It's not winsome. I sure do a whole lot better at it now. Than well, I, I think your listeners t- notice that. I, I really do. I think your audience sees that side when you, you know, cause we're all saying the same thing. You idiot. You know, sometimes it's reflecting our own problems, yeah. uh, but, but I think, I think the thing is what, what I try to do is I try to meet them where they are and then, then light a fire. And if it's not burning, I turn up the heat a notch. If it's still not burning in the conversation, I turn up heat. So about the third time I go back with the same answer and they come back with yet another question, I'm probably going to bloody their spiritual nose Mm. at that point. I'm probably going to get their attention, but it's for their sake. It's like your kid is walking towards the interstate and they're about to get run over and you start off with, honey, don't go over there. Mm Mm-hmm. Honey, and by the time they get closer and closer, you're you're like yelling, I'm going to kill you. You can't go over there. (laughs) And you just have to, you know, but it's why it's because you don't want to get killed. You don't want to run out there in the interstate. It's a bad place, you know, and that's my job is to course correct. That's what they're coming to me for, whether they realize it or not, you know. And so the good news is a whole lot of people get help. And the other good news is it's downright entertaining as we do it. Well, Well, and a, a Marine friend of mine says when he's in the car listening to Freedom, uh, Friday broadcast when you do the you know, the financial freedom when people are debt free and call in, um, he says half the time he's crying listening to these people tell stories. He's a marine for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> and what is it about this whole freedom from enslavement? And we could put addictions on there, all kinds of things. But uh, what is it about that that's so liberating for you? You've heard it how many thousands of times, and yet you hear another one. Well, what is that? It's the gospel. Hmm. It's being set free. And it's being set free from bondage I created with grace that I didn't create. Hmm. And, um, and it's visceral. It, it, it reaches down in your soul. 
And um, it's something as simple as getting rid of MasterCard and a stupid student loan. Mm-hmm. But, um, but mixed into that is, is the world's greatest story. Um, I'm free. Mm. And there's peace with freedom. And where there's slavery, there's not peace. And whether that's slavery to debt in the, like in an old, uh, old King James where we're talking about sin or whether we're talking about you know, debt like a MasterCard, either way, it's just one's a metaphor is all it mm. is. But that's why people, that, that there's a sense of being set free. It's, it's evangelistic in, in, its, in its appeal, mm. and it touches that place inside of our hearts. Now, I am not saying that getting out of debt is a salvation issue. Don't right. misunderstand right. me. That's, I'm not doctrinally that shallow. But, but, but you're touching the same place. It's still the good news, and it's still this idea that says that I, I got something I didn't deserve here, and that's why I'm better than I deserve. <laughs> when you sit back at the end of a week that's been full of meetings and employee challenges and products and marketing and all that when you sit back and look at a week uh friday you go home and you think about from your drive here to your house do you put that in in a context where god is using you and what does that feel like to dave ramsey with ups and downs of the week but you go home you put in your five full days let's say for example what does it feel like to be at rest in what you're doing? Usually it doesn't happen on the drive home, honestly. It usually happens when I'm, I'm sit, sitting in a situation and I can't believe a kid from Antioch, Tennessee is actually here. Hmm. And I look up and there's 12,000 people in an auditorium. Or I'm sitting with a guy after I've just done a leadership conference all day long and I get to lead him to the Lord. Or I'm um, you know, staying in a hotel that is just ridiculous. And um, it humbles you hmm. to the point of gratitude. And, and you just stop and say, wow, Lord, thank you for work that matters. Hmm. Thank you for intersecting my life and changing the direction. And, and thank you that, that you have given us the privilege to uh, lead as many people to the Lord as we have, but also to influence their lives in the directions and, and, and the privilege to teach them your word, which when it intersects their life, always changes the trajectory when you think back on the hard times and the challenges and then counterbalancing it with where you are today as you said humbled and grateful for what god's done how do you keep from going too far with the power and the success and the voice because you and i've seen it we've seen the people that Mm -hmm. make some poor choices when they get to a place of power well it's it's still remains to be seen if I ever do that. I mean, it's possible I will. Um, I'm not any better than anybody else in that regard. I've known people smarter than me and more spiritual than me that have messed up big time. My only shot, at, I have the benefit of having gone broke. Hmm. You know, that changes your whole look on that because you don't, you don't look up on third base and feel like you hit a triple. You don't have that sense of it. Hmm. Um, so that, that sense of entitlement, I think, is one of the things that can, can lead you to that. Um, you know, and I have some of that. I work my tail off, and so I, sometimes I feel like, well, I earned that, you know. Yeah. And sometimes I did earn it, but but I but that sense of entitlement is a really scary place to go to. And then the second thing is a stewardship thing for me, and I think this helps us. And I've taught my kids this as far as inherited wealth in the future for them and that kind of thing. It's very very dangerous if you think you own it. Mm-hmm. If you can remember that all of this power or fame or money or anything that is given to you is simply a tool that you don't own it. It's a tool to be used for the good of the kingdom, which includes doing some nice things for your family. Take care of your own household. It includes 
A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. It includes some of those things, but but it, more than anything, it's a tool. So why was I given a microphone? Why was I given influence on some of these network shows? Or why why have the you know the ability to people trust the message coming off of this brand and those kinds of things? The, those are privileges that were given to us. Uh, but they're not ours. Mm-hmm. They're to be stewarded. When you look at your kids and now grandchild and more to come, more than likely, God willing, um, how do you see that generational, not, not just the information, the technique, but the ownership of what you have? And obviously God's used you, not putting all on Dave Ramsey's accolades, but you've come to a place now. How do you entrust that, I guess I'm asking, in a legacy format that they appreciate they didn't go broke? Yeah. Well, I, we started when they were one, teaching them they don't own it. I mean, they've they've been taught their whole lives they don't own it, that they're managing it. And so when uh, several years ago the kids all reached adulthood and we sat down and we actually opened up the financial statements because they grew up pretty normal in the sense they had no idea. Um, I mean, they knew we had money, but they had no idea mm-hmm. what the wealth was and uh, and what the re- this place represents with 400 team members and how big the payroll is. They they don't they never got their heads around it because they were young adults. And we sat that down and we said, every one of them. I was so proud of them. Maybe maybe we pull this off because every one of them looked at us and went, "That is very heavy." I feel the weight of that. Mm, interesting. None of them said. Woo-hoo, we hit wow. the lotto. Uh-huh. We hope you die soon. <laughs> we didn't hear any of that. <laughs> that's a good thing. But it was more like th- this is a responsibility that's sure. to manage this for God. Part of the part of the f- formula is, you know, my wife has some nice things, yeah. and I do too. That's part of the formula. But it's a small, small portion of the formula. The biggest part of the formula is that that there's a whole lot of folks need help, and it is our job to use these privileges we've been given in such a way and to transfer that philosophy that stewardship philosophy generationally is your only shot at not messing up your kids and by the way our kids are real it's real clear um our family has a family constitution and the the title of it is as for me and my house Mm. we will serve the lord and so if you're not going to do that you're not in the will Mm. and that's not because it's punitive it's because it's not mine I'm a manager, and what kind of manager would I be to leave money to a heroin addict or to leave money to um, someone who's running around out here not walking with God? Mm. And so it's not a legalistic thing. It's a responsibility of mine mm. because I'm not going to, you know, have, have someone being misbehaving and now they're well-financed and they're misbehaving. <laughs> that's, not, that's not beneficial to them. Right. It's certainly not beneficial to the kingdom, and it's not my money. When you look at the entitlement culture we have right now I'm, I'm, a, I'm a skosh older than you but you have been in this far more than i ever will be what's happened dave to the mindset and let's just talk about the local church not even you know america at large what's happened in the mindset that entitlement has become so much integral in their approach to life your, your you know background and mine are, are not that different in that we had parents that you had to work Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a, a, a you know lower middle class America, but we didn't have much. We mm-hmm. didn't take loans. We didn't mm-hmm. borrow money for cars. Dad paid cash for stuff. Mm-hmm. And part of that was the Depression era survival mode. This is how you have to live, which in some respects is very good. But we've handed our kids a endless stream of consumerism and materialism, and it's kind of frightening. Yeah, and it is the ism that's the problem. Uh, consuming something right. is not a problem. There's not a certain amount of money or a certain niceness of a thing 
that is too nice or too much. It's the ism of it, the worship of it, that becomes the problem. And where the entitlement came in was we defined success poorly, and we allowed materialism, consumerism, to sneak into our doctrine and into our theology, meaning that we define success as a collection of stuff that is there for the benefit of me. That's just, I got to tell you, man, I made a lot of money and over my life and a couple times and, and you eat enough lobster, it tastes like soap. I mean, it's, <laughs> there's no stuff that is going to fill that void. Insatiable. And, and, and you're, and so we've done a generation, a disservice when we spiritualize the collection of stuff. Now I am not against stuff. I think you ought to get you some stuff and I think you ought to enjoy it, but you ought to own it or manage it for the not kingdom the way around. And, and not be going, okay, I'm defined by what I drive and I'm defined by where I live or where I went on vacation. And that's my spiritual identity. And sadly I'm running into 45 and 55 year olds that are still doing that stuff. Yeah. Uh, the boomers uh, that are out there floating man, and this next generation and they've got, you know, the, 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 well, two generations down, they've got this whole twisted thing on, on wealth and the, a wrong view of it that has popped up in this wealth inequality movement and all this other stuff. And it's, it's way outside of scripture, but we've, it's, it's the reaction to the materialism, which was the wrong definition. So now we're have a new group that's defining themselves by what they don't have, right, asceticism, yeah. which is just as evil yeah. and just as, uh, just as much heresy. Well, and how, how do you define it? You know, what, what your model car, what size house, where do you have to live to define that you're being a good steward? And, I heard a principal years ago, one of my professors said, uh, you know, when you judge someone else for their money, you're the materialist. Yeah. Yeah. And you have no place but to look at your own assets and your own, you know, how you use the steward, what you have, not how someone else lives their life. Yeah. At what level of car have you lost your salvation? Yeah. We did detailed research. It's a 93 Camry. But <laughs> <laughs> 95 is too bad, huh? Yeah, you're gone. That's a it. Toast. Yeah. <laughs> Do you find more uh, resistance from the legalistic crowd, the do's and don'ts followers, or, um, you know, those who are, uh, wealth is, is gospel wealth and prosperity and success equals gospel. The interesting thing is it the resistance usually comes from someone who is a thought leader for a particular crowd. Hmm. Um, that's where the resistance comes The people that sit in their churches, um, they all come to us from every denomination, ilk and background. Hmm. And, um, you know, uh, even people that, you know, are it, a lot of people would define whether or not they're within the Christian, within the Orthodox right, movement right. and those kinds of things. And so, I, you know, we just help people. And it turns out they come in all brands. So to differentiate for the critic, you're saying, look, we're not here just to narrowly market to X, Y, Z. We're trying to bring Christ to them in a different way, no matter what their orientation might be. We lead thousands of people to the Lord every year. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them thought they knew him already mm-hmm. and some of them did. Some of them had, had, you know, was lost as a ball in tall weeds like I was and, um, and, and literally do, do that in a very, very direct and very open way. So I, you know, uh, I, my goal is this, I ain't got time to figure out whether you've got me figured out or not. I'm just doing my thing. So mm-hmm. if you, you got me figured out fine, if you don't got me figured out, it's okay. It's okay. When you, um, roll up shop on earth. And uh, this is the last chapter, and God says, time for you to come to your real home, Dave. What do you want to leave behind? The legacy needs to be a, uh, a family that gets it and, uh, and the things that they can do then. I- I'm amazed when I think about the wealth that King David built, but he was prohibited from building the temple. And Solomon builds the temple with his dad's money. What would happen if we could generationally do that? 
through a whole bunch of families. Because you think compound interest works through one lifetime to build wealth for the good of the kingdom? Watch it through two lifetimes or three lifetimes and see what can happen. And we've gotten this idea that, that, and I hear it all the time because I've done a lot of research on families and family businesses that are successful. And, and the, the, you know, the common mythology is, is that, you know, wealth always ruins those families. And it's just mythology. I find lots and lots of families that are doing very well. Mm. They're just not on a reality show. <laughs> and, they're not, and they're not on the front page of the news. Um, they're just doing really, really good stuff. And they're really quiet about it because they, they're not doing it for you in terms of your accolades they don't need your approval and that needs to be the ramses that we love jesus first and foremost we love each other second if we loved our god and we loved our neighbor we got a pretty good start well the best way to help you is for you to go to daveramsey.com daveramsey.com hope you'll join us on the next broadcast this is michael easley in context